Well, this morning I get to preach a spare. I almost never get to preach a spare. Uh, usually I'm working in short series. Uh, the messages have a, a theme, we hope, uh, or a common passage or a common series of passages. And uh, this morning I, I, I get to go to, to one passage, a spare and uh, the reason I'm going to this particular passage is just simply that this is a passage that's been bothering me in a good way. It's been working on me for a while, and uh, I would like to take us through it. We're going to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16, and I would encourage you to punch that reference into your devices Uh, Or if you have a real Bible, you can flip to it. Uh, I'm not taking sides. I have both up here, actually. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. It was 1935, and it was time for my grandfather to leave. Uh, My grandfather had grown up on a wheat farm in Whitewater, Kansas, Uh, which to this day has never been more than a wide spot in the road. And in 1935, when he was kind of getting into his middle 20s, my grandfather believed that the Lord was calling him to study for the ministry. So the day came for him to leave, and he got into his Model A Ford, and he began to pull out of the farmyard, And he encountered an obstacle in the person of my great-grandfather. And I'm sure this is about 80% true, okay? Uh, But as the story goes, my great-grandfather threw himself in front of the Model A Ford and from the dust shouted up, Wilbert, don't go! And I never really heard what happened after that. That's been completely lost to legend But apparently my great-grandfather got up out of the dirt at some point because my grandfather made it to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, He went to the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, which today is Biola University. And in time he met my grandmother, and in time my father was born, and some decades later they moved to Omaha, Nebraska, where they met the father of Pastor Steve. And all of this has something to do with why I, exactly 80 years later, am here in Iowa with you. My grandfather was motivated to leave the farm, probably by a number of things. In his mid-twenties, there was probably some Wunderlust involved in this. He wanted to leave the farm. He wanted to go to the big city. It's also true that Los Angeles was one of America's only prosperous cities in the middle 1930s. But it's also true, and anybody who knew my grandfather up until the time he died at age 90 would tell you that the driving force of his life was his desire not only to follow Christ, but to be with God, to be in the presence of God, wherever God was, that's where my grandfather wanted to be. And that is my spiritual inheritance. What motivates us? What motivates you in this life? 
Our passage this morning tells us that we need to acquire an appetite for the very presence of God who is the object of our hope and our faith. So we go to Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16, and as I read this, we'll remember that the entire book of Hebrews is written to Jewish followers of Christ who were tempted to return to the law of Moses. And the writer to the Hebrews says, don't go back. Go forward. Jesus is better. Chapter 11 in particular commends the Old Testament believers who live by faith in God's promises, looking forward to the fullness of everything God had planned for them, even though at their time, Jesus had not come yet. That's the context of what we're dealing with here this morning. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The motivation for Abraham's response to God was none other than the permanent inheritance of God. That's what this passage is teaching us. I'd like to look in particular at verses 8, 9, and 10. And I'd like to look at the verbs, the action words, in these three verses, because I believe we see here a progression in Abraham's desires. First part of verse 8, we see that Abraham recognized God's call in his life. Uh, This, of course, is the story that goes back to Genesis 12. Remember how it worked back then, 4,000 years ago. There was the, the, the region of the world, really all that they knew at that time, that we sometimes call the Fertile Crescent. This was the place you could live, and, and, and over here you had Ur, was kind of like New York City. 
And, and then you had a big swath of land where people could live, and then you had Egypt over here, kind of like Los Angeles. And, and in between, you had all this flyover territory. Abraham starts here in Ur, and God tells him, don't go to Egypt, go to the land I'm going to show you, and Abraham comes over here to Canaan. And God tells him eventually, you're going to inherit this whole land. That's Genesis 12. We're told here that Abraham obeyed God. This word obeyed, it's, it's really more colorful than we see in our English Bibles. It, it means to obey on the basis of having paid attention. In fact, it's built on the word to hear. In Acts 12, the same word is used of somebody opening a door once they had heard the knock. Abraham heard the voice of God and he obeyed God. For him, that meant recognizing that God existed and that he was different than all the other gods, so-called gods of the ancient Near East that his neighbors worshipped. That was a big thing for him, to even recognize God. And when he went, he was promised an inheritance. There's real irony here. He goes to a, a, a land and... He just simply obeys God on the basis of the promise, and he's told he's going to receive a blessing, though though in chapter 12 he's not told very much about that blessing. That comes later. The second part of verse 8, Abraham responded to God's call. My ESV says he he went out, he, he departed, not knowing where he was going. But again, he was promised the land where he was dwelling once he arrived over here in Canaan. There's progress here. He's he's recognized the call of God, and now he's responded to God. Abraham has taken action. He is a man on the move. Verse 9, Abraham lived As a stranger, my translation says, by faith he went to live, simply. But here again, this this verb is a lot more colorful than, than we see. It means to live as a resident alien. The Net Bible says that he went to live as a foreigner. The old King James really gets it right here. He went to sojourn. Remember that old word? To sojourn. This word is also the word from which we get the word proselyte. He went and he didn't really belong to the land the way that his neighbors did. He was an outsider. There's progress here. He's recognized God's call. He's responded to God. And now Abraham is organizing his life in a temporary way, living, we're told, in intense along with Isaac and and Jacob, those who would inherit the promise along with him. And again, there's irony here. He's he's living in the land God has promised him and his descendants, but he's looking past it somehow. He's not trying to settle down. He's, 
He's looking to something else beyond the immediate land of promise. Why is that? I think the answer is found in Abraham's motivation, and it's given to us in the next verse. Verse 10, Abraham looked forward to the permanent inheritance of God. Looking forward, this this verb means to remain in a state until an expected time. What is he waiting for here? Abraham is waiting for an eternal city, a, a permanent dwelling, not of this age and not on the earth, this earth in its present form. We're told in verse 10 a little bit about this city. We're told, first of all, that God planned it. God himself is the technician. That's that's what this word is. The designer, the architect, the craftsman. You could translate it engineer. He's the one who planned it. He's putting this eternal city together. God is not just the one who plans it, but he's the one who is building this city. And it's a city that has foundations. It's a very significant word. It means simply that God is there. Abraham wants to be with God. There's a progression here. He's recognized God's call. He's responded to God. He's organized his life around the promises of God. And now Abraham is characterized as one who wants to be with God. That's what Abraham was after. Really, the rest of the passage is just about what happened as a result of Abraham's faith. In verses 11 and 12, uh, we see that that Sarah shared Abraham's faith. Not at at first, remember she laughed, but eventually she came around to trusting God like Abraham did. And and as a result of, of her faith and the faith of her husband, the promise of God was fulfilled uh, among the physical descendants of Abraham, and we're, we're told here that th- they became like the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verses 13 through 16, Abraham took his place among the Old Testament saints who likewise desired the presence of God. All of them died without attaining the promise. They didn't get to be with God in this life. They died first. They didn't receive the things promised. They saw them from afar, as did Abraham. They recognized themselves as strangers or outsiders, that's the word, on the earth. And in doing so, they showed that they, like Abraham, were seeking a homeland. And they showed this not by looking back to the lives that they had come, for, come from, but by looking forward. They desired a better country. And in doing so, they won the approval of God, who was not ashamed to be their God. And God is preparing for them a city. The essence of the permanent inheritance of God for all of these Old Testament believers who who looked for him 
The essence of that permanent inheritance is that God is there. And, and the saints of old will be there with God, sharing an eternal home. You know, so far this passage is all about Old Testament saints, those who lived uh, before the coming of Christ. But for those of us who live after the cross, uh, there is very, very good news here as well. Here's the good news. My motivation in this life can be, should be, ought to be the prospect of my permanent home with God. Isn't that good news? There's a few things we need to think about as we think about this good news. Uh, Look at verses 39 and 40. These are the last two verses in the chapter. The whole chapter is about Old Testament saints who lived before Christ, but the writer to the Hebrews ties us in, you and me, he ties us in to this chapter right at the end. Look at how he does it. And all these, that is Old Testament saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, one of the things they were waiting for was us. God was gathering his saints from all the ages of time and perfecting us together and preparing an eternal dwelling for all of us at the same time. And in Jesus, we join Abraham in looking forward to our permanent home. This is really good news, isn't it? Uh, Flip back to uh, John 14. John 14, 1 through 7. And here we see that we will, after Jesus' return, be brought into the eternal dwelling of God. This is a very well-known passage in John 14, but we often don't do a good job of tying this together with what Abraham was looking forward to. This is Jesus talking. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. See, like Abraham, we're, we're looking forward too, aren't we? Only our, the, the permanent dwelling with God that we're looking forward to is a lot closer than what Abraham was looking forward to. Just 
One final thought about our good news. In Jesus, all the hopes of all those who have responded in faith will be realized at the renewal of all things. Look at one more passage with me, all the way to the back, Revelation 21. This is what Abraham was looking for. Past the immediate promise of the land, sure his descendants will inherit it. But this is ultimately the focal point of what Abraham was waiting for. This is the new Jerusalem, the eternal city. And look here how the very essence of this place is that God is there and we are with him. Revelation 21, I'll read down through verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. There it is. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And here's my tombstone verse. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making All things new. Isn't that a great verse? What motivates you in this life? The prospect of your permanent home with God should, ought to, motivate you in this life. And that's very good news indeed. There's more good news, though. As as joyous as this is for us, uh, this is also good news for the world because the prospect of my permanent home motivates me to share this good news with other migrants. Abraham was a migrant. right? He knew he didn't belong on this earth. He he was looking forward to an eternal home. And in the same way, uh, we're migrants, aren't we? This week, uh, completely apart from this message, I was reading about, um, really, globalization, and especially about where Christians live on the earth. And it's absolutely fascinating. Our, our, everything is changing so fast now. The, the center of gravity in terms of where Christians live is moving south and east for lots of different reasons, and it's all happening very fast. Uh, I came across a website called Faith on the Move. It's put out by the, by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. Here, here's a few statistics that we need to start getting our minds around. 3% of the world's population is migrant. And they're defining a migrant as a person who has lived outside his or her country of origin for at least a year. of the world's population is doing that right now. And that amounts to 214 million people thereabouts. If you were to take that many people and put them in the same place 
and make a country around those people, that, that country would have a population slightly less than that of Indonesia and slightly more than the country of Brazil. Another way to think about this is that one in every 35 people in the world is migrant. One in out of one out of every 35. And here's another fact for you. One out of every five migrants lives in the U.S. It's a lot of people. It's about 43 million people that we could call migrants. What's everybody looking for? Uh, a lot of people are running from persecution. Now, this week I heard the, the, the number 90,000 people running from ISIS right now. Uh, a, lot, a lot of these people are looking for better education. Uh, they're looking for better uh, a better life, jobs. All these are good things. But ultimately, each of them are looking for a homeland, aren't they? You see, the good news of Jesus Christ answers a deep need of the human soul. Each of us is looking for a permanent home. Here's another twist on the, on the data. 49%, almost half, of the migrants in the world are at least nominally Christian. That is far more than the percentage of people in the world who claim to be Christian. You see, there's something Christian about being restless on the earth because we know what things ought to look like and what things will look like. Uh, In the end, we're all migrants like Abraham, aren't we? We're all looking for a homeland. We're all looking for something permanent. And in Christ, the hope of being with God can be, should be, ought to be the driving force of our lives. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that reminds us that we are not made for this earth in its present form, where something else was intended for us. And when we feel that deep lack here in life, it's because you're telling us that we were made for you. And in Jesus, we can come to you. Uh, Help us this week as we feel discouragement, as we feel lack of contentment, help us by your grace to be able to trace these feelings back and remember that we were made for you. We were made to be in your presence and in Jesus, by your grace, that will be our situation. Help us to remember that. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.